Welcome. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today, Laura Boyd is back, and we're going to answer the question that she and I both get quite often Is leadership going soft? I'll circle back with you all once I'm done talking with Laura. Laura Boyd, hello, and welcome back. Good morning. Happy Friday. I don't know if we've ever met on a Friday. We have. Oh, all right. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And by the way, I need to tell you a funny story from this morning. So everybody's out of my house now because everybody's at work and at school. It's just so exciting. And so we have our exercise room in there and I got done working out and I was listening to a really good song and I started dancing. I was like, what is going on? So I just kept dancing. It was awesome. Then I'm like, what if somebody saw me? Like that would be so embarrassing. But that is how I I started my Friday morning. Yay, you. Isn't that funny? Like how we get so worried about having somebody see us dancing, right? Yeah, I know. I was even line dancing and part of it. I don't know know what I was doing. Well, let's see. You had space. There's a lot of people that are celebrating that their house is now empty. (laughs) Okay, maybe that was it. Like nobody was around to watch me and I had space. Look out, everybody. You had space, you had music, and you had sunshine, which we know you love. I do. I do love sunshine. Yes. (laughs) This morning, I walk with my girlfriend and I woke up and it was like 5.05 and I was really tired and I'm like, is that rain that I hear? Because <laughs> it was 106 a couple days ago. So I text her. I'm like, is that rain? And she's like, yes. And I hear thunder. And part of me was like, maybe she'll cancel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> she goes, I'm fine. She goes, yeah. She goes, I'm good with walking in the rain or we can postpone. And I said, let's go. So we walked and that was great. And it did drizzle because it doesn't last that long. But yeah, we had a little bit of rain in California. Did you have, you're not supposed to be out there if it's lightning. (laughs) Just saying. I do go out lightning and thunder. We were worried more so on what that might mean for the fires. The lightning or the The lightning, because last year when we had thunder and lightning, it created sparks and fires. So that, that is our little bit of our concern, but I mean, it was a very light little drizzle, unfortunately, but it was it was nice to be out there. Yeah, and you heard it, so that's good. So you're excited about sunshine, and I'm I excited know. about a little rain. Right? That's, <laughs> that's such a good dichotomy of sorts. Where we live. All right, so we're going to talk today about, is leadership going soft? It is interesting because I do think that a lot of people have these notions of leadership being soft. And I have a great example from manufacturing where I'm working with kind of the middle management group. And one of the middle managers said to me during a break, because he was very disappointed in trying to learn all this soft skills. And one of the things he said was, why do I need to communicate how they want to be communicated to? Why can't I just communicate how I've always been doing it? 
And he's been at this organization for probably 20, 25 years and has done it the same way. And it was interesting because I said to him, well, how is that working for you? And he said, great. They do what I tell them. But if you look at his numbers, his numbers aren't exactly representing what he's saying either. So I think that we do have a generation that is asking for this type of connectivity. And we've got to find it because we can't live in this traditional model of command and control. It's got to be more of a connectivity and collaboration, yet you still have to have strong expectations. So his numbers, so he was thinking it was great. It's all working for him great. But had the feedback from his team that he's leading, there's a disconnection. Right. Yeah. I think you see that often too. But then you, I, when I talk to him, like, wow, Mr. Krabby Pants. I mean, everything he said was so negative. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, I wouldn't want to work for you either. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't. I would say this is not where I want to be. So I think it's interesting because everybody keeps blaming all this, the workforce challenges on, you know, the unemployment and all that. And I know that there's a piece of that too, but is it that, or is it that the connectivity is not there or they're not being led from a standpoint of they're engaged? I don't know. Well, but I I also think it's, there's their own responsibility of being engaged too, right? Like we, we, we all have parts in it and being able to own it. It can't be just the leader. It has to also be the employee as well. And looking at that and just as a leader who may need to work on connecting, it's also the responsibility of the person that's being led to work on what am I filtering in, right? Am I going into a shame storm and how do I get, have my own resilience so that when they're saying something and I'm going, oh, I'm being bad, I'm being bad, that they can actually process through it. So they're not shutting down or wanting to quit, right? Like everybody has to do their part of work. Right. I would agree with that for sure. And that is one thing. And it's interesting because I struggle as someone who works in leadership development a lot is there is kind of that give and take, right? How much are you giving and, and how much are you taking? And so when we look at these generations, we can't say, well, this generation, you're taking so much. Well, they're giving a lot too. How so? Well, I think that they're bringing a a new technology and new innovation, new ways of doing things that are different than what we're used to. And I I think that they're making things better for the environment, better for just living and loving each other. And if they're having like, I mean, even mental health, we talk about that mental health. We've had so many more conversations around mental health. And I think it's because this younger generation is bringing it out. They're talking about it and we just are giving them the space, which is awesome. Diversity inclusion. You see that on every strategic plan now. That's huge. That's awesome. So those are the kinds of things I think they're giving back to our society Well, and it goes back to it's messy, right? And change. And we don't like change because that leads to feeling vulnerable. And and so often as leaders, we just want to armor up. It's like, no, this is working. Why change? Why adapt? And but then as we have, you know, people that are different than us showing up in the rooms, right? There's going to be a catalyst for change. 
So going back to the initial question of is leadership going soft? I don't think learning about mental health or having emotional intelligence is is about being soft because I think when you have the tough conversations and really give somebody feedback, like so if you have an employee who's not doing a good job on something and you learn how to give feedback, right, Mm -hmm. and to be in it with them and of course it's going to be messy, that is actually really hard and it's courageous work to do. But how often in the workplace do they not want to give feedback? Do they start to create an environment where it becomes toxic and with the hope that the employee just leaves and quits, right? So we're like, we're just going to be hard asses and they'll just quit and leave because then I don't have to have this conversation to tell them what they're doing well, what could be improved on because it'll be messy. And what if they cry or what if they get upset or what if they attack me? So I actually think that the leadership that you and I are talking about and working with people on is actually not soft. It's really courageous because we're starting to get to the heart of the matter and helping people develop. Excellent. Corinne, I think you've just mastered it now. So, because I think that is true. I think there's, there is a part of that, but how do we get the masses to believe in that? It, it has to be almost like how, how do we show success from it? That's a big question. How do we get the masses? Say more about what do you mean by the masses? Well, just, you know, probably some of the more traditional generations. How do we get them to believe that developing in people, whatever that looks like, is important? And it's important so that they can figure out how to have these courageous conversations and feel stronger to have these courageous conversations or be more confident in themselves. And this is where we go back to saying, well, is this some of this narcissism? Okay, I want to go back to the, I've come up with an answer about how do we get the masses and then we go to the narcissism. I don't think that for you and I, our targets are the masses, right? Because we either work one-on-one or in groups of people, right? We're not working with the millions, but I think of like a Brene Brown or an Adam Grant who's putting out their, you know, they hold a lot of credibility because they're doing research. We put academics kind of on this pedestal of they know. And then we also throw them off the pedestal because we're like, you have no work experience, right? So we can discount their work as well. But when you have people like that who are doing the work and and priming the pump for us with their research, with their, you know, a book, a book is easily accessible. It's what, $20 or $30. People can buy it. I mean, still to this day, people contact me because they want me to do trainings for their company. They're like, oh, I just read, you know, Brene's Dare to Lead book. I mean, I'm not quite sure, but I think that book came out in 2019, right? So it's still coming out. It's still new information for people. And then what you and I get to do is actually help people implement. So we're on that ground floor working with people to actually implement it and live it versus the masses. So that's one. And and then this podcast, it does get out to people worldwide. And so we're dropping seeds out there. But I think that's how we get, you know, so I can't think of the masses because... I would get overwhelmed and shut down. <laughs> so I think about what are the things that I can do within my space? Yes, that and that is a problem that I have as well. So I'm glad you brought that up because I do think, I think of everything as, okay, here's this big iceberg and I'm going to hit it. And then there's going to be this big piece underneath that I didn't even see and I wasn't helping them somehow. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that to say, okay, let's let's take the masses out of it. Because I do think that that's something people think about a lot. Like, well, how can I change the world? 
right? Mm-hmm. We send our kids to school and we say, okay, I'm so excited to see what you're going to do to change the world or whatever. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so big, so mm-hmm. big. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's important. Well, we do that because, right, there's like the big, hairy, audacious goals and all this stuff. And it becomes like, we need to have this big old vision. But then you're sitting there going, well, what's little me going to do, right? And then we play small and we get in our own shame storms versus like, okay, what is it that I can do, right? And if you're working with that leader and he impacts, I don't know, 50, 100 people and he can work on his skills, how much does that change and what's the ripple effect? Right. And then that's also, again, like I, I personally, because of my background, I love having research backed tools, right? It's not, oh, here's Karen's experience. Let me just tell you, but like, here's what the research is showing us. And and then let's work on getting there and integrating it. Right. So um, I think for any of us, it's like, what's the impact? And also understanding, like I had years ago, I was at the gym and I, you know, was looking up at the TV and it had something about girls sex trafficking, you know, and all of a sudden my brain was like, seriously, Corinne, you worked with a bunch of privileged kids and then a bunch of privileged, you know, leaders. This is the work you should be doing. Like my brain was shooting on myself. It was like a bleep, you know, 30 seconds in my brain as I watched this, you know, news thing with the captions. And I'm like, yeah, that's really important. Like we don't, I don't want girls sex trafficking happening. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I mean, I think my kids were like eight and six, right? And I had a husband who traveled all the time and, and and I have a very full life with a lot of responsibilities and a lot of leadership. And I had all this guilt and all the shame that I should be doing this to like really make an impact in the world. Like, who am I doing what I'm doing? And as I unpacked it, I go, okay, well, what's my capacity? Well, my kids were eight and six, right? Like traveling was not something like I didn't, I did very few speaking engagements because I didn't want to be on the road that much, right? Most of my stuff was, you know, without travel, right? As I was building my business. And and I realized, I'm like, well, wait a second, like with the Aqua Monsters, who knows what kid I'm teaching confidence with? Maybe they're going to be somebody that's doing that. Like now I have, you know, athletes who are, you know, filmmakers, they're doing their social justice, they're doing different things in the world. And so who knows, like, but what I'm doing here matters. And then with my clients, it matters. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, one of my really good friends who's a colleague, you know, this is what she does, right in the world. And so I was talking to her one day, and she just laughed. And she said, Corinne, I didn't start that work until I was in my 50s after my kids were grown, and they were out of the house, and then I had the space to do it. Right. And I think that's something we always have to think about because it's like we can go, it's so easy to judge ourselves and say, we need to do this to make the impact instead of one, acknowledging what is our capacity? What's the impact that we're currently making? Right. And along with what is maybe work that we want to do. So it's not that I don't think it's important work. I think there's a lot of important work out in the world to do. It may not be my area of focus. And I'm grateful that there's other people. And I think that's an important thing is to have boundaries. And that's an example of how compassion has boundaries, right? Like these are important in what is the capacity that I have and the tools that I have and the resources that I have. And resources, I mean by time, really, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that time in my life, I didn't have that capacity to travel, right? That was something that I chose with our family that I wasn't going to do that because I just gotten out of a job where I was traveling a lot and I didn't want to do that with my kids. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I do think a lot of people put the shame on them themselves when they don't do something bigger. 
you and I have had this conversation before from a faith-filled standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's the guilt that I put on myself. Like from my perspective and my belief is that God put us on this earth to do something. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that something, I think it has to be something great and grandiose. I always think that because when I think of God, that's what I think of, right? And that's not really what it's about. It's about how do you use your gifts and talents for other people? So I think that that's interesting. I think that's a good way to think of it, that how are you giving back, but it might be just even in a small capacity. And and I would get rid of the just, and maybe in a small capacity, right? It's not going to affect millions of people. Like, you know, again, Brene Brown, Adam Grant, they have millions of people who follow them, right? Their impact can be bigger on that level, but also people aren't going to have the access to work with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be trade-offs. What we just can't do is think we're less than because of that. Everybody has different skill sets, right? And so in understanding that, and we can we can make significant changes in people's lives and help people without it having to be this big, massive, you know, on the front page of the New York Times or whatever the headliner is, right? Because we all have different experiences we're going to bring. Right. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So now if we go back to the leadership question about soft, this goes back to that narcissism. And you said you had a thought on that. So I'm curious what your thought is because narcissism is such a negative thing. And when you think of trying to be a strong leader, sometimes that narcissism comes into play. Okay. So I want to look up the definition. I like to, whenever we talk about certain words or I talk about certain words, I'm like, I need to look at the definition. So the definition says narcissist is a person who has an excessive interest in or admiration of themselves. And personal development can really get hit with, oh, are we being narcissistic? And I always think of, it's always kind of on this continuum, right? And depending on where we're grounded, like when we do personal development, when we do introspection and we're reflecting and we're checking in with ourselves and we're coming from a place, I believe, of compassion and love, it's not going to be narcissistic. But I think when we're in fear or in shame, it can be much more narcissistic. And when we're really looking, let me go back to that definition of when having excessive interest, because that's the hard thing that I'm constantly working with clients on is I have a lot of clients who will play small, right? They're badasses in their lives. And then they'll play small. They don't want to say like, Oh, this is what I'm really good at. Like, instead of just owning, you are really good at this. This is a strength of yours, right? It doesn't mean you're better than other people in the world. It doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out because you can be really good in this one area and this other part of your life can be a total shit show. And that's okay. Right? There's this line between when it's like being really proud of ourselves and going into this narcissistic territory that is very different. And I think so often it's like, it's that idea of I'm not enough or I'm too much. Like I don't admire myself. I'm going to beat myself up and deprecate myself. Or if I admire myself so much, I'm narcissistic, right? It's, there's many steps in between all of that. Does that make sense? It does. But I, I still struggle with that because I'm trying to figure out what is the difference then? If you are working on yourself and you are trying to hold yourself up and be confident, when does it go over the line of narcissism then? 
is there a line of, you know, demarcation of, okay, if you cross this line, you are truly a narcissist. Well, so like with narcissists, right, there's lack of empathy. So we're, you know, and empathy is perspective taking. So like one is that when you can admire yourself and go, these are my strengths. You know, I've been in the process over the last month of moving my kids because they're in college, right? And so I realize I've done a lot of moving. I really admired the, my ability to pack and move. Like there were some skills that I forgot that I had or didn't even remember that I had, like how to use a dolly. You know, these are things that my dad taught me. My dad was a longshoreman. I can pack and move like no other. Plus growing up and we move so much. I just, there's just some stuff that all of a sudden just like came back. Like, how do you pack a box? How, you need to tape a box. My collegiate daughter was like, mom, I don't need boxes. I'm like, yes, you need boxes and you need tape. There's a reason for it. So that when you stack the boxes and you're going into your, you know, third floor apartment, we're not going one box at a time, right? So going back to my ability to admire my skill set, like I was like, wow. I'm really good at this moving stuff. Like I realize I have specific skills that I forgot about that were taught to me. And I was so grateful for my dad and I, I admired it. Like I just owned it. It wasn't a lack of empathy. I didn't need, I didn't need anybody else to be like, oh my gosh, you are so amazing at packing. I just like owned it. Right. And it was just this grounded confidence about it. It wasn't that I was better than anybody else. It was like, here are these skills that I was taught as a teenager that has shown up in my 49-year-old self, right? There's a difference versus I think when you're being a narcissist, admire me, admire me, admire me, right? And not having the perspective of others. So there are different distinguishers that when you get to that far of the continuum. I think that's the key part because when I think of just even with myself and really, you know, you go into that people-pleasing Mm-hmm. And I know you like to call it approval whoring, so I will use that term on this podcast only. But it gets to that point, and it's like, well, when does it become less of people pleasing or approval whoring versus seeking that admiration from others? Mm-hmm. Because we all do it at some point, and it is nice to get feedback from people, positive, of course. We would all say that probably. But it's the belief, I think, is what I'm hearing different is you don't need it because you believe in yourself and you believe in your abilities. You don't need others to admire your skill set. Well, and that one's such a non-trigger, right? Because that's not something I'm striving for to be a really good mover, right? right? (laughs) What? You know, anytime we need to be in excess, right? Like that's where we need to really pay attention to what's going on. So if you are like in an excessive need for admiration, right, pay attention to that. What, like I think about Todd Cashton and he says, you know, the upside of the downside, like what we would call negative, positive psychologists would call negative emotions. It's not a bad thing. It's giving you some information, right? So if you're in an excessive need for something, take a look at that. What may be off kilter? And oftentimes, like when I'm in an excessive need for something, it's because I'm in fear and shame right? One of those two and boom, like I will overcompensate because of it. And then the other thing that's really important, I think with narcissism is the exaggerated sense of self-importance. Tell me more about that. Well, so when you're talking about like, 
you know, we're doing personal development. People are doing this work. They're introspective, right? Is it because they then are walking around going, oh, see, I am so important, right? This exaggerated self-importance versus here I'm doing this work to learn more about myself so that I can be more effective as a leader, connect, enjoy my life, right? And it's not about an exaggerated self-importance because like this week, I had a client say to me like, I think she's worked with me for two years and she's like, oh my gosh, Corinne, what I've come to realize is this work is about doing the work on myself and it's really scary to look inward and do this work, right? And this is not a selfish person that's doing this work like many people trying to always fix, always helping, you know, troubleshooting and realizing that by doing this internal work, the ripple effects of the changes that occur, that's not narcissism. Right. I would agree with that. I, and it's, it's so interesting to me because I have a really good friend who has a very successful company and I've, you know, I do these public leadership forums with a group of professionals and leaders. And she said, Laura, I will never put anybody in those forums. And of course, I'm always like, well, tell me more about that. Like, why? And it was interesting because she said, I don't, what I find is when people go to those leadership development courses or personal development, they come back a totally different person and then decide they don't want to work for me and work for our organization. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And she said, I have seen it time and time again. So I will never put anybody in development like that. And I just thought, that's really sad. Because wouldn't you rather have them doing something that they have figured out or started to like? I don't know. Don't you want people that are at your organization who want to be there? Well, and you think about the great resignation. So, right, like in in one of the hard things that all leaders or owners are having right now is employee turnover. Right. So you get into that scarcity and it's like, I'm going to armor up. I'm not going to put, be risk, not going to be vulnerable and put my employee out there who may develop and then see like, oh, well, this is a shit show. There could be a better way, right? And I do think one of the downsides of personal development is the dream of the fairy tale ending, right? Of, oh, if you do this work, you're going to be in the promised land and you'll live happily ever after. I'm like, it's an amazing life and there are shit shows everywhere. Like that's the truth of it. There is not an organization. You can live this work there's still like, you know, Brene talks about it. There's still rumblings, right? There's still, there's still shit shows, but it's being able to work through it. And if we look at our own families, you know, none of us are living the Brady Bunch life. And I think it's easy to go to, you know, like taking a look at their research. And I can't tell you how often a client will be like, you know, why can't everybody in my company behave this way? <laughs> like the Brady Bunch? Or or just like dare to lead, right? Like, why aren't they all just like sitting down and having engaged? And they're rumbling, yeah. Yeah, they're rumbling. I'm like, that's not how it works. It's really messy, right? And because they're bringing how many different past selves into that room with them. But until you recognize it and do the hard work to get there and recognize when you are bringing past stories and cultural programming and whatever it is that you're bringing into it with you, just imagine if all five stopped. I I just imagine Brene's team, right? If all five stop and then they're like, whoa, you know, they recognize that they're bringing their own stories in. If you don't have that on your team and you're the only one that's recognizing 
the stories, then you feel you don't fit in. You can't have these courageous conversations. So that's what we're trying to get to, right? That's the leadership side of it is getting everybody to that point. It's understanding like you and I have a common language, right? Because we know the stuff. And so we can sit there and we can be like, oh, I'm, we, let's rumble with this or there's beauty in the mess. And we can understand that. And when you're in a room of people that don't understand that, that's a lot harder. As you were saying that, it makes me think of the difference between a startup company versus a company that's been around for a long time, right? A startup company, you're trying to create culture. There's, I mean, it is just fast and furious moving and there's all these messes. So when you try to bring in a leadership, you know, template like Dare to Lead and only a couple people may be doing it, you have to think of it more as a, a startup culture where not everybody knows what's going on. There aren't ways of being that are there, that procedures and systems that everybody understands. You're creating the system as you're building it. Right. And you're building a community and common shared language for sure. For sure. It's interesting because we go back to the very beginning and say, is leadership soft? Are these leadership skills or personal development, is it soft? And I don't think it's soft. I think it's messy. I think it's messy. I think it's hard. And I think it's exhausting. Right. So true. So interestingly, then why do people say leadership skills, these are the soft skills? We're going to work on the soft skills. Where does it come from? I think it just comes from like emotions. Emotions are soft skills. Women are soft. Yeah, but then when we're not, then they say, well, you're trying to be a man. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, who am I today? Or you're a bitch, right? Like, right. You, just, you just keep poking at me. You just keep poking at me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so true. Where do we desire it to be? Do we want it a little soft and a little hard at the same time? When, again, when that airman said that, like, ma'am, the Air Force is soft enough. I allow him to have that. I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't understand, like, in the, what are they called? I've lost that word. Like, so in the different military branches, I guess the Air Force is considered the softer, you know, branch. Oh, interesting. Right? Like how that's perceived, right? So I didn't understand that. That gave me, I had a bit more perspective of learning that. But I let them have that. And then I just explain, like, because emotional intelligence is something that we have totally discounted. Like, I was talking to somebody who works for California Department of Ed, I guess. And they were talking to me about what happened in the 80s when Reagan administration got rid of institutions, right? And like, we don't, in California, we don't have emotion, we don't have a Department of Mental Health anymore. And what's happening to the kids in the sector, right? Because we don't have a place for them. And part of me is like, wow, how are we in 2021 where we're talking about how important mental health is? And in my state, we don't have a department of mental health because that was something that was decided. My understanding was during the Schwarzenegger administration that it wasn't something that was necessary. When you think about it, he was a huge proponent of physical health, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but we decided mental health wasn't important, right? We've discounted it over the years. So it's like, oh, that's just a soft skill. That's just a soft skill. It's not necessary. We just have to be tougher. Let's just work hard, be tougher, instead of understanding it's one of the key things that we all need to get through, right? It's not just about brute strength. We, we have to have emotional health. And we're seeing it even now with the elite athletes, right? Whether it's Naomi, the tennis player, or Simone Biles, you know, the gymnast, 
they're talking more. Michael Phelps has been talking about it for a couple of years, mental health, mental health. So I think we're starting to see it. I'm hopeful that we're seeing a segue into it. And I hope we can continue to sustain it and build upon it. Right. And I hope, you know, when you see those professional athletes, I hope people can resonate and connect with them at that level. I mean, we have actors and actresses that have, you know, they're talking a lot about it too. And I think that those are two channels that we can bring awareness to it. But it's hard as a regular person, like I would consider myself, to look at a actress or a I look at actresses and I think, I really want to be that person. Anyway, but then also athletes too. I'm like, well, I'd love to be Simone Biles. But then I think, no, but I don't, I can't connect at either of those levels because I'm not that. I'm just a regular person. When I get just, the- I'm a regular person. <laughs> Sorry, Corinne, I tried, I tried, I forgot. But I think again, going back to your point about the masses, like they can get the noise out there so that people all of a sudden when when they can start saying mental health and then when you and I go in and talk about mental health, it's not like it's a word that they've never heard, right? They may not apply it to them because, well, I'm not an elite level athlete, right? I may be thinking that, but at least it's a term that's been out there. The, the pump has been primed, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, even emotional intelligence, I mean, that that's not a new phrase, a new word. It's been out there for a long time, right? Right. But we we're just like, buck up, suck up, just work hard, move forward, get these degrees, and you'll be fine. And, you know, if anything, we're learning over these past 18 months that emotional health is really important. I mean, we'll go to the pandemic. You know, one of the realizations, at least in my community, is how important it is for kids' mental health to be in school and the learning gap, right? And so, we now have a modified quarantine. So if you've been considered a close contact at school, you can still go to school with a mask. You have to get tested immediately to check. Mm -hmm. And if you have a negative, then you get to go to school. You know, eight months ago, if you were a close contact, you were mandated out for 10 days. So we're getting better understandings of how important it is to have connection, to have learnings, right? Like the impact of isolation during this period of COVID has taught some stuff and hopefully we can continue to carry it forward and not get rid of it in 40 years like we're doing with other things. Right. Yeah, very true. So I think it comes down to our leadership skills, soft skills. Well, what do you think? Do you think they are? No, I hope people that have listened to this think the same too, that they're not. They're hard, these hard skills and so when we hear that in when other people are talking about it, I hope people will stop and say, are, is that really true? Are they soft skills? Is there another word we could use for it? I, I think leadership skills are often blurry, right? Because we they're not something that's tangible that we can see. And that's what makes them so hard, right? Because it's like, where is the line between being proud of oneself to then going into yeah. where it's being narcissistic. And that, because it's such an invisible boundary, we don't know. And we're so afraid, like, you know, like when you go bowling, for instance, right? Like you, if you put up the bumpers, then it hits that and it comes back in, but they're invisible and you can go over and go into the next lane. And then it's like, oh my gosh, now I was narcissistic. Well, maybe you had a narcissistic moment. I don't think that would be it. You know, I'm not one that can diagnose if you're narcissistic, right? but you could come back like, and that's the ability to be willing to fall down. Like we're not going to do this shit perfectly. 
we need right. to, you know, I'm constantly like with my clients, do B minus work. It's really hard to get overachievers to even like accept B minus work. I'm always like, but B's are good. Like think about the definition of a B. It's good, right? We can't, elite athletes aren't always going to do A plus. They have A plus moments. They're not always doing A plus. We have to stop with this. Everything we do, every word we say has to be perfect. That's unrealistic. Right? But we have to work at it. But we have to work at it. And so like when we go into this, it's, you know, leadership skills, they're invisible, right? They're not something they're concrete that we can see. And there's not a right or a wrong. Like I was working with a client yesterday. She was a business partner and getting really clear of, what are the owner's expectations of, you know, what does she believe? What does he believe? And then are they compatible? Cause the easier answer is be like, well, I'm out, screw it. I'm done. I don't want this business. And that's what we're seeing a lot. Right. It's like, like with your friend who owns that company, it's either an option A of I send people to the forum or option B, I don't send them because I lose people. So she goes option B. I'm like, there's option C, D, E, F. Now we're also dealing with, we're decision fatigued. Our executive function isn't working because of all the COVID fatigue that we've had and all the decisions we've continued to make. And so we don't even want to look at all those. It's easier to just go A or B, right? Like, let me just arm up B. They're not going to go. Mm -hmm. I'm going to protect myself and we're just not going to deal with that. We're not going to grow and we're not going to, and, but not realizing by doing that, what are some future problems that are going to escalate because somebody doesn't have certain skill sets? It's fascinating. Because I think you can go so many different ways with it. Like you said, we think of things as it's either this or that. Mm -hmm. I think there's even a book that says that, right? This or that. Mm -hmm. But what about everything else in between? It doesn't have to be this or that. So when we're talking about soft skills, maybe it's a little bit of hard and a little bit of soft. And a little bit of fuzzy and a little bit of madness. And what if it's all of that together? Are people okay with that? Well, I don't know if they will be okay. I mean, it's it's so interesting because like I used to have this when I was a young coach, head coach at the college, and I would get the former men who swam for my husband at the university and they would come and they'd be my assistant coaches. And a lot oftentimes they were captains, right? So they were high achievers, good athletes, been in the sport, they're male, I'm a female, and they would come in and they would sit in my office and I would say to them, I go, look, here's the deal. I could be nice or I could be a bitch. I choose bitch because I am not bringing you cupcakes on your birthday. Like my family, I don't even remember when their birthdays are. I was always pushing against that. Oh, if you're a woman, you need to be the mother of the office, right? And Mm -hmm. accommodate. And I was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm this feminist. What I've learned since then is it's not an A or B, all or nothing, right? It's not one or the other. It's that space in between. So I can be compassionate. Sometimes it's really fiercely compassionate. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not. And I'm really direct and it's really clear. And sometimes it can be, you know, I guess we would use in the terms that you're using softly compassionate where, you know, I'm not direct. I don't say too much. Right. And and I have that. It's we're all on this continuum, right? We're all on this continuum. But what I found is that I don't have to be a bitch to be compassionate. And I'd rather be a compassionate leader. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. So actually, I don't think that's soft skills. I think that type of directness is scares a lot of people. 
Oh, for sure. Because you think of the Midwest and in the U.S. here, we're supposed to be Minnesota nice is what they say. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. It's because nobody wants to have the direct conversation. So that's where the challenge comes in. And I think when you're culturally programmed for that, it takes a toll on you. And that's why you see people off-ramping, right? And again, it's like, I always think about sustainability. So it may work short-term, but what's going to be the long-term cost, right? What's going to be the long-term cost to you, to the company, to the team? And oftentimes, I mean, there's so many times, Laura, I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to establish this boundary. And then I think, and if I don't, what will be the ripple effect in the future? right? If I allow this to happen now, then what am I teaching people that's okay? Right? It can be as simple as, so for the monsters, we have people signing up. We have this inner squad on um, Sunday. And so I'd sent out information about the inner squad. They go in their account, they sign up, right? It's really simple. There were the directions there. And my husband got a couple emails. He's like, oh, so-and-so's emails. I'm like, you need to email them and let them know they need to sign up on this form, because if you don't, you're going to be teaching them that they don't have to follow the procedures in your inbox is going to be a shit show, right? It's more work there, right? And, but those are hard skills because you're now having to remind people what the boundaries are. Mm -hmm. They're just invisible boundaries. I can see it really clearly because I've done this for so long. Other people may not because they're like, we're new. We don't understand. What are you talking about? Because they didn't read the next lines of the email. Right. It's easier just to hit reply, right? And then say, oh, we want to come. Can you please add us? Oh, they're so nice because they added us and we didn't have to follow the rules. Until the shit show happens further down the road. Either they show up at the meet, they're not entered. There's extra work that other people have to do. So people don't see all of that. So that's the thing about being a leader is understanding the impact today as well as potentially not dress rehearsing tragedy, but what could be the pitfalls and what could be a better path for you and your team if if you establish the hard thing. Yes. And actually, that's interesting because if you think about boundaries, that's the hard stuff. That's where you sometimes feel your inner bitch comes out because you're like, I'm setting this boundary and look at my face even. You can see that I'm kind of squinching because... It, it's uncomfortable for me to set boundaries because I'm Minnesota nice. I don't know if you heard that earlier, but anyway, so I'm always trying to please or I'm trying to not, I'm recovering from that by the way. But so I think that that's the hard part of it. That's the hard conversations. That's the where the courage comes in from the very beginning of our conversation. Those boundaries are so important and that might be another topic for another day right? Is, is how do you, yeah. How do you set boundaries? And, you know, Brene talks about clear as kind. And I always say there's clarity and conflict. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're going towards. That's not soft. So if somebody asks me, are these the soft skills? I'm going to say, no, I have now come to that conclusion after this podcast, Corinne, before this, I wasn't sure. Now at the end, I'm saying, yes, (laughs) these are not soft skills. But truthfully, they're not. And I can attest to that. The people that say, ma'am, these are soft skills, right? right? Are we we getting soft? My question is, who does in their team the direct work, right? Who goes and has the hard conversations with the problem employee 
it's probably not the person who thinks these are soft skills. They probably have somebody on their team that's their fix-it person. That's their person to go and handle this stuff. I think in in this case, this example I shared, I do think it's this person that goes directly and is kind of an ass. And it is, there's no A or B, C, D, it, or there is only A or B, I should say, not C or D. Yeah, let me preface it. So you're either the ass and you're just like control and comply. Yeah. Or you're out of here. Let me threaten you. Let me, let me, you know, flare up your amygdala in that way you like overperform, right? Because you're in so much fear that you're going to lose your job. So that's one. Or they have somebody else to go handle this stuff, right? In the soft way because they don't do it, but they have enough awareness that it's necessary, right? The person with the control and comply, they're just like, why, why do we, there's just all these shitty workers. What's the problem? These damn millennials, right? And they just complain about that instead of looking at what is the problem that we need to solve? What's my part? What's not my part? Not in a blaming way. We don't need to fault find, but we just need to look at, okay, what can we do to do better? Right. Right. And, and I've even noticed, like I had some resistance last week because I'm like, I don't want to pander. Like I'm not going to change my delivery because I'm a woman and I'm dealing with the damn patriarchy. So, you know, but I also don't want to armor myself up and get really strong and just be like salty because of it. Right. So it's about how do I continually show up authentically me and be strong and be direct right? So what are the steps without like, oh, I now need to bring people coffee before I have a hard conversation so that they can, you know, be willing to work with me. Like I'm not willing to do that. Somebody else may be willing to do that because that's what they like to do. That might be their, you know, their language of how they connect with other people. That's just not necessarily my language of how I connect with other people. I won't be bringing people cupcakes on their birthday. That's just not how I do it. Well, I was expecting that, but now I won't. So (laughs) it is next month. So just so you know. Well, I think this has been a good conversation just about soft skills within leadership and are they truly soft skills? And I think we've kind of come to a conclusion that they're not. Mm -hmm. They're messy. They're hard. They're intangible. You know, there's just so much about them that makes them not soft. And so I think that it would be interesting to start talking about, okay, well, let's talk about those ones that we might think are harder. Like you talked about boundaries. Those are hard for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you make boundaries? What's the definition of them? Why do we set them? And why don't we have others comply? Is it on us? Cause we don't say anything usually. Mm -hmm. Because we're (laughs) not clear. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're Minnesota nice. (laughs) Well, so yeah, you have that other layer of programming, right? Being Minnesota nice. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. So Mm -hmm. great topic to talk about next time. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you. Enjoy your sunshine. Thank you. Take care. Okay. So lots for you to think about and for you to answer the question, do you think leadership is soft? And what we're doing now with personal development and emotional intelligence and connecting to our emotions and connecting with people versus control and comply. That's something for you to think about. And hopefully the conversation with Laura and I and the stories that we shared help spark some different perspectives for you to get more tangible on as you go and answer that question for yourself. All right. I'm smelling big for you. Hey. 
If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short, they're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide away. Captured in the 